Hey everyone, John here. Before we get started with the show this week, uh, first of all, I want to say usually we do kind of like a comedy sketch at this point in the show and we have a little bit of fun and everything. This week is a little different because we unfortunately found out on Friday about the tragic passing of actor Chadwick Boseman, who of course played several iconic roles, including Black Panther. And we're really grieving right now as a community here at Cinemaholics, and we've been trying to think of just different things we can do to celebrate his memory, do something that he could look at and be supportive of. So we are supporting and sending donations ourselves to the Starlight Children's Foundation. This is actually a cause that Bozeman himself supported back in 2018. I actually have a quote here from Bozeman. He said, being a Marvel superhero gives us a powerful platform to directly influence positive change. Giving back to kids is the most impactful role you can play. We at Cinemaholics definitely agree with that. So we are donating to Starlight Children's Foundation and we want to spread the word on what they're up to. They're a great cause and their whole mission is to basically bring incredible joy to seriously ill kids. Your donation would, for example, uh, allow a kid to, while they're in the hospital and getting treatments, play video games or be able to play some music and just in general have just the fun that we celebrate here on Cinemaholics all the time in their very serious circumstance. And so we're big supporters of Starlight. We think their cause is really great. If you have the means to support them as well, we strongly encourage you to look into that. If you don't have the means, and we understand that that is definitely a reality for a lot of people right now, there also is a campaign that Starlight is doing in the month of September called Stream for Starlight. So this is a whole thing where you can actually get the word out yourself, create your own fundraising page, and basically spread the word and spread the awareness and hopefully spur some action from people. So if that's something that you would like to check out as well, we have links to that and the organization itself in the show notes. We highly encourage you to at least look into it, see if it's something you can do. And we're doing it because Chadwick Boseman really meant a lot to us. And this is our small way of contributing something in his memory and his honor. So we hope you check it out. You can do a one-time donation, recurring donation, or like I said, check out the campaign if you want to do something with your talents, something that is more expressing yourself in a way that could help these kids. So thank you for listening. Let's get on with the show. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets, and I am the editor-in-chief of Cinemaholics.com. And look, filling in for Will Ashton this week, he is a Nashville-based writer and film critic for ComicBook.com. He's one of our favorite recurring guest stars, and our listeners like to refer to him as Better Will? Weird. It's Charlie Ridgely. Hi, John. How are you? Charlie, it is so great to hear your voice. I love having you on the show. Well, hey, I love being here. I always get so excited when we talk about doing the show because yeah. it's one of my favorite places to be. You know, I could not agree with that more. That uh, it's one of my favorite things to do every week. And having you on is icing on the cake because we're talking about some stuff. Charlie, I need your help. I, I don't know how I could talk about some of these movies without your assistance. We're going to be discussing New Mutants. I can't believe it, but yes, it came out and Charlie and I did see it. It is a real movie. It exists. The last Fox X-Men movie has arrived. And not only that, a sequel to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. What kind of week is this? It's just all kinds of fulfilled promises. Look at this. Bill and Ted face the music. We're talking about that film. We're also talking about Armando Iannucci's latest movie, which is so different from his other work, The Personal History of David Copperfield. All right. 
few hot topics to get to, Charlie. First of all, how are you doing? How, how have you been the last uh, couple months since we discussed the uh, Five Bloods? That was our last episode. Um, I've, I've been I've been better. I mean, I haven't been bad. The last, as you can imagine, for everyone uh, in in the world and in the film world, especially the last couple of days have been weird and rough and terrible. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I'm about as good as I can be. You know, the world's still upside down. Um, we're still fighting for uh, for equality. I'll call it across the country, and uh, so that's still a grind every day. Yeah, but um, you know, been watching a lot of movies and catching up on a lot of a lot of old movies that I had missed. So that that's really really fun to discover. Uh, I'll tease for later in the episode. I, I discovered I think one of my new favorite movies this week, watching back through some eighties and nineties stuff that I missed. What a tease! Forever to go. I know, I know. It's just that's how I do it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's. I feel like every time I have an interview with anybody, uh, I actually talked to uh, William Zabka a couple days ago, and, and he and I had this kind of same conversation. Oh, Anytime did you I tell him to, I like, said, hey, I, I haven't talked to him in a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, hey, Johnny Lawrence, uh, I, I know you're your biggest yeah, yeah. fan. No, um, we, uh, anytime, I just say, I have to say, you know, I, anytime I do an interview for work, I, uh, I kind of start with, how are you? And it kind of, it always goes the same way. Like, oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, and like, we, we there's know kind Billy. Of, yeah. He just goes a, on and on. There's a ceiling, you know, to how good anyone can be doing right now. No one's like, I'm living my best life. Everything is amazing. Right. Like, no one's in that place. You know, but if you're doing pretty good, yeah, that's that's about as that's about as good as you get. So, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm doing pretty good. How are you? How are you, John? I'm good. I, you know, I I can't help but feel your energy. You know, it it sounds like you know you're just you're operating at a level right now that is very infectious, and so it's rubbing off on me. I'm feeling good. I you know, I'm I'm with you there where I just feel pretty gutted right now. We'll talk about why in a minute. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening already know what's going on, but yeah, it's been a it's been a wallop. Of the last few days yeah i mean yeah it's, we'll, it's been rough we'll get to that uh but hey we got some things to plug in off topics uh we got a pretty good off topic section here coming up so first off extra milestone everybody's favorite classic film anniversary podcast at least i think so i don't know of any other film anniversary podcast so that's probably accurate but uh sam noland our host of this bonus pod he led a discussion with jason reed that's right jason reed is back and the two of them talked about The Shining, Gremlins, and Gremlins 2, The New Batch. I have to say, what a triple feature, uh, first of all. The Shining, considered by many film lovers to be one of the greatest horror films of all time, or the best films, period, of all time. Probably the best Stephen King adaptation, uh, one of the better Stanley Kubrick films, which is saying a whole lot. Um, I, as somebody who is not the biggest fan of The Shining, has never been a film that's like really, you know, melted my butter i've always really respected this movie and their conversation about it is extremely insightful i learned a bunch of new stuff about it in fact sam in fact gives a story of where because he lives in colorado he actually went to the hotel that kind of inspired the look and everything with the overlook hotel from the shining and sam's story about this is i my jaw was on the floor charlie when i was like editing the episode and doing all that stuff like I'm, I'm texting Sam. I was like, Sam, I feel like your older brother right now because I feel like I got to just beat you up over this. I cannot believe you did what you did. So irresponsible. But of course, we love Sam Nolan and uh, it's, it's such a great episode. But also did talk about Gremlins and its insane sequel, Gremlins 2. Just a bunch of interesting 80s uh, movies here. I think Gremlins 2 is technically like 1990, the year I was born. But uh, Charlie, you know, we were talking off the air. Uh, earlier and you were kind of like yeah i saw gremlins for this time for the first mm -hmm. time yeah, yeah. you just kind of dropped that like oh yeah just yeah. watch gremlins for well, the first time <laughs> as big of like a film person as i am i just for some reason there's like this i have 
a lot of these iconic movies from the eighties, I just never saw. Um, and I'm like kind of using quarantine to catch up. I'm just going to be honest with everybody. And I feel like I'm not going to get invited back after this twice. Now I mentioned that you know, I'm going to have one of my favorite new movies. That is true of this eighties movie or slash nineties movie that I watched recently, but another one that is one of my new favorite movies. And like, truly I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. I had never seen ET before like two months ago. I had never seen ET. It's crazy. It is. It's insane. I, the ET thing, a little. I'm a little bit like, whoa, okay. But as far as Gremlins goes, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> we all have our gaps. We all Some have, of us yeah. have decade gaps. I, I think you were kind of mentioning earlier that for you, it's like the 80s, which is mm-hmm. a little surprising. I think a lot of people maybe overwatch the 80s. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm a big, all my favorite movies are from the 90s. So that's like, you know, ever like Jurassic Park and sure, uh, you know, the Big Lebowski, Toy Story, like all of the movies that I feel like make the framework of me as a film fan came from sure. the nineties. But now I've been we're more nineties kids. And and my parents weren't big movie people, which I think is how I missed out on a lot of the eighties was, you know, they didn't have a lot of those movies that meant so much to them that they watched. So, you know, I never, I didn't watch star Wars growing up and stuff like that. Like a lot of people did with their parents or Indiana Jones or anything. So, I've seen those movies before now, but I'm a lot of those eighties films were just not a big deal to my house. And so I never watched them. So now is kind of when I'm doing a lot of catch up. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that because for me, it wasn't my, it wasn't my parents who introduced me to eighties films. Cause like it, it's kind of informative of who I am, but my mother was much more about contemporary film. She would take me to the theater to watch films. I was far too young for, I saw deep blue sea in the theater Listener, I've already mentioned that I was born in 1990. That's all you need to know about how old I was. I was what, six years? Six years old? I was a little like older that? than that. I think it was like nine when that movie came okay, out. Okay, I thought it was, like I was six for some reason. Still, though, that's an R-rated shark feature. Oh, it kind of yeah. freaked me out, okay? Mimic. I was even younger for that. Uh, I mean, that look, was, I, think that, I think the first rated R movie I saw in the theater was Passion of the Christ. So, you know. I'm, oh, wow. <laughs> I had seen a fair yeah, number not, by then. I mean, I'd seen some at home, but I think it was my first theatrical Right, right. Experience. So, you know, I'd ra- I would have rather it been Deep Lucy. You know, I would have rather uh, yeah, you opened know, up that the bat. <laughs> that, is, that is one of my most memorable film experiences. I'll give my mother that. But in terms of 80s movies, that was my brother's fault. Uh, he introduced me to all the 80s movies because my brother's a bit older than me. He's nine years older. He's a Gen Xer. He sat me down. He was like, all right, we're watching Star Wars and we're starting with Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Why, why are we starting Return of the Jedi? Shut up. I one. saw the first two. No, he doesn't think that. I think he's a bigger <laughs> fan of the second one, like most people. Yeah, I I love all three. I I go back and I agree. forth, but I agree. You know, my brother is the reason I saw Indiana mm-hmm. Jones and that. Yeah, I'm I'm the oldest of my family, so I that's uh, that's where I I missed all that. So I hope you introduce your younger siblings to I, the I, I try. 90s stuff. I'm you know? trying. My my brother's more of a sports guy, but um, okay. You know, I'm I'm trying my best to get him to watch stuff. Uh, but yeah, so this is this has been a big '80s education for me, which has been great. I haven't gotten to the new batch though, and I've heard that movie gets gets so crazy. And I think, again, teasing the late, later in this episode, I really loved when a sequel just went crazy. Oh so I think that I think I'll really appreciate the bat because I, <laughs> I think that Gremlins to... already, oh, man. <laughs> already Gremlins is like I, I I'm like why don't more people talk about this like at, around Christmas yeah. time? Why is this not like an iconic Christmas thing oh, that we watch is. all the time? It, it is it will for be a certain for generation. It will be for me from now on. Yeah. So it should be. But the second one, Charlie, you're not ready. You're not ready. I, for I, well, I mean, I've been told match. about how the second one just it, they completely ignore oh, yeah. the the it just they go off the rails. I mean, there's that one of the best key and peel skits ever is when they're pitching gremlins. It's like the pitch meeting when they were trying to pitch gremlins too. 
And if you haven't watched that sketch before, it's incredible. But it's just them, like they go nuts in the pitch room and just take all they throw everything at the wall. And I'm like, I don't get it. And then I watch Gremlins. And then someone explained to me. Yeah. Gremlins, too. And I'm like, oh, OK, this sketch. And I watched the sketch back. and I was like, this is incredible. All that to say, that's our latest extra milestone. Um, if you had any fun listening to us talk about any of this, then you should definitely check out that bonus spot. It's on our feed right now. Uh, also, another bonus episode coming out this week. Now, you're probably wondering, you know, all right, John, Charlie, I'm a fan. You know, I like you guys, but uh, where's Tenet? I don't see that in the episode title. Well, here's the thing, dear listener. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen Tenet. For me, I haven't seen it because it doesn't come out in my area via drive-in until the end of the week. So I'm not going to be able to see it. I don't know about you, Charlie, where your situation is, uh, but Tenet is hitting our feed. It's happening. We're going to be talking about Tenet uh, in a bonus episode, but it's going to be Will Ashen, who has already seen it. And I believe uh, I shouldn't tease who the guest is because the guest is still a little TBD. I don't want to be like, this person's coming. And then you all are like, oh, what the heck? I I will say that I am supposed to see the movie with this guest. So... Okay. Um, you know, who are going to figure so if, it out? It, just by you saying, if that. the guest doesn't go, you just call me, and I'll be here talking about Tenet because I'm going regardless. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> either way, we're you know, Will's going to be talking about Tenet with somebody, and uh, that's going to be coming out later in the week. And then, yeah, I'll see it eventually. Next week, we're going to have a crazy episode because we are going to be introducing um, maybe somebody who's going to come onto the show permanently, maybe. And uh, it's it's not Charlie Ridgely. I don't want to get people's hopes up. Sorry, Charlie. We, you're still our ringer. We still got to bring you in. Hey, yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm the wild card. I'm the wild card. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you know, yeah. you got the the serenities, the new mutants. I, I will always be here for the wild card. We do want to do some stuff with you, Charlie, though. But uh, uh, on other channels, we uh, we, we might be doing some fun stuff on YouTube. Uh, if you're a fan of the YouTube channel, uh, I know we've been we've been doing our best to try to grow that one out. Uh, in fact, we did our first video review this past week. And uh, by we, I mean, I kind of did that <laughs> uh, sort of by myself, but it was fun. Talked about the boys season two, which is hitting Amazon Prime video. The first three episodes later this week, September 4th. And Charlie and myself, we both have seen the entirety of season two. Uh, we were privileged to get screeners. And so we've already seen the whole thing. Now, Charlie, you told me right before the show, they're only releasing the first three episodes. I am disappointed by this because I think this is a very addicting and bingeable show. I, Why, I agree it is, on? but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still a very big fan of weekly television and, and, um, or at least that model. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of arguments in our office at comicbook.com. Um, you know, Brandon Davis and I have always been big fans of waiting every week to watch something. Um, and we've always kind of fought for that. And with the boys, especially, I loved how much we talked about the boys when it came out last time. And I'm really excited to see that energy spread out over the course of, you know, because I mean, you think about like Game of Thrones when this final season, as much as I hated it, like the energy every week talking yeah. about Game of Thrones. That and Mandalorian. I'm really excited for that. And yeah, and Mandalorian like really proved if you if you do it, in, not every show has to be that way. I mean, some shows are filmed to be binged and that's great. I still love them. Um, but I really appreciate, you know, getting to watch something and then experience. One of my favorite TV experiences, maybe my favorite TV experience ever was when the first season of True Detective came out. Um, uh, my, my buddy, Josh Wren, who was one of my, uh, groomsmen in my wedding, uh, he and I lived together my senior year in college. Well, my, my senior, my, my victory lap, I, I was a four and a half year guy. So, Hey, I'm, I'm sure all the listeners know everything <laughs> about your, both your college experience and the exact makeup of your groom's part, your, your bridal party. Yes. Josh, I just wanted to, Josh is a good friend of mine. We lived together there my last year in college and, um, 
he and I watched True Detective together every Sunday. And that experience, because you know, that show is so twisted and so, you know, there's so many mysteries to it. And we were on Reddit every day, all through the week. Like we were texting each other theories. We'd be, we would sit in the room in, in our living room for, you know, hours on end, just reading Reddit stuff and talking about it. And just the wait every week to figure out what was going to happen. Like that eight or 10 weeks, whatever that was, was so fun to me. And because of the binge model, I feel like we lose that so often. Yeah. And sort so of. I really, the I'm excited. Water cooler. With, yeah. yeah. And so I'm excited with the boys. I think we're going to have that because there's so many crazy, exciting things that happen in the boys. And then on top of that, just as a, as an entertainment writer, I really love the weekly model because it's hard to write. Like when stranger things season three came out, it's hard to write about it because everyone's watching it at a different speed. Yeah. But on with the boys every Friday night and Saturday, we can talk about the boys because so all the fans are going to watch it that day and we can really grow with it. So I'm, I'm a fan of that model. I know everybody is, but I'm excited to kind of stretch this out and really talk about it with people and really get a conversation going, get theories going and things like yeah. that. We should say too, you know, I mean, it still exists. Like the weekly model still happens, but it doesn't mean that you can't binge it later. That's what I did with uh, The Last Dance, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary series. That was coming out week to week on the ESPN app. And I remember people were talking about that. It, it sounded really oh, yeah. great. And I still, I was of the mind of like, I'll get to it. I'll watch it. Eventually, you know, it hit Netflix. Uh, even though I had the ESPN app, I could have just watched it, whatever. I ended up watching the whole thing. I'm actually on episode 10. I was watching it right before we started recording the last episode. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of that documentary series. Highly recommend. And I know Corey really enjoyed it as well. Mm. But yeah, it's it's still a thing. It, it's still like watching things week to week. It, it hasn't disappeared completely. Some of that water cooler specialness of like that right. we did get with like Game of Thrones and Lost and shows that kind of just ha- demanded it to be a pop culture moment. There, they're definitely rarer than they used to be, but you know, I, I think that it's. I think the I think the boys lends itself well to that. I'm I'm skeptical. I don't know. I don't know how much boys is going to break through the the ether. But I will say one thing that did kind of surprise me was uh it was a show that my fiance actually was like, yeah hey, yeah you know somebody recommended the boys to me season one. It's apparently season two is going to come out. I don't know. And I was just like. Wow, if you've heard of the boys and like it's it's getting out there, yeah. That's Amazon good news. I think has a little trouble, but when it's starting to pick up, I mean, I think Miss Maisel helped a lot, like really get that in Fleabag. You know, they became such yeah. cultural she's, milestones. She's up on the Netflix stuff, like Netflix. Yeah, Netflix is, I mean, through. Netflix is the Coca Cola of entertainment. Like it's it, it's going to become a synonymous thing. Is Amazon like A and W? You know, I don't or? know, and it's just it's just not quite. I see what you're doing. It's not quite there um, in terms of like when a new Netflix original comes out, everyone knows about it. And so I think that Amazon's getting there, but Amazon I think has a higher quality overall than not. I'm not saying it's best shows are better than Netflix's best shows, but Netflix put out, puts out so much and Amazon is very selective about their originals. And all those originals are very well funded. You know, they're going to make a fallout TV series, which I'm going to tell you right now is probably going to be my favorite show of all time, unless they do it wrong. I mean, I hope so. Lord of the rings, you know, like (laughs) they're, they're putting resources behind things and giving them time. And so, you know, the boys, you can tell that they really put care into season two. Not that they did in season one, but it was not a, let's get this out to appease people. It's like, we're going to make sure we do this really well. It's basically how Netflix treats, treats stranger things. That's how Amazon treats all of its shows. And so I think it's harder to, to get latched on because they put out so many fewer shows. 
You know, I mentioned in my video review of The Boys Season 2, which is on YouTube right now, you know, I, I actually name dropped to you, Charlie. I was like, yeah, you know, this is the kind of show where I was like so into it. And, you, you know, you were basically the only other person I knew who was watching the show. And so I was messaging you and just being like, Charlie, Charlie, did you see, you know, and episode eight comes around boys season two and i'm like charlie charlie did you see the episode charlie episode eight and the reason you were like no john i haven't gotten to it i don't you know i don't care uh stop talking to me uh the reason is because you're catching up on something that has taken netflix by storm it's number one on netflix right now mm -hmm. it is a show i have mentioned on cinemaholics multiple occasions uh it is a show that literally during my interview with gary doberman director of annabelle comes home we, we pause the show just to pause the interview, I should say, just to talk about this show of humble beginnings. It started as a YouTube original series, two seasons so far. Not a lot of people watched it, but people who did watch it were like, this show is it. This is the show. I was one of those people. And that show is Cobra Kai. It just hit Netflix. Cobra Kai is like the continuation series of the Karate Kid movies. And I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite shows that's going on right now. And I've been waiting for people to check it out. And Charlie, you just watched it for the first I time, did. both seasons. And it sounds like you're not as big of a fan. Is that it? Oh, I'm 100% with you. I think it's amazing. Okay. I'm in I'm love glad. with it. I think yeah. it's 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 the perfect balance of like really cheesy. It, it knows how 80s it is. And it... it runs with it and not an obnoxious like oh we're just throwing phrases like it has a vibe of an 80s movie um it knows it's very very self-aware in its tone it it, does, it deals with teenagers so well which i mean i think the producers or writers came over from american vandal and so it makes sense that it is so it does so well with teenagers because american vandal is maybe the best exploration of teen, the teenage psyche on tv in the last 10 years um as goofy as that show is but yeah, I I watched it because, like I said, I was going to interview William Zabka, and I, I fell in love with this show and these characters, and I, I can't get enough of it. I'm I'm pissed. I got to wait till 2021 to watch what's next. But this is a show like we were just talking about. I think Cobra Kai is a great binge model show. It's great to burn through the. It's a really easy binge. Yeah, and it's great to watch through the whole story. And they have a, they have good cliffhangers at the end of the seasons. And you know, it's it's one that I really like watching in chunks, and I think a lot of people will as well. If you have not watched it on Netflix, you you really should. It's it's one of Get my on favorite. That. It's like right there with Ted Lasso as the two, as the shows right now that I'm just like, I cannot get enough of this. Please give me all of it that you have. Yeah, I'm I'm still waiting to get into the Ted Lasso train. I've heard great things, but uh, oh man, Cobra Kai at least I you know that that is a show where I was I was telling my fiance on that one. I was like please give this one a shot. I think you could really enjoy it. And it's, it's certainly one of those shows. It's just so easy to love. You know, it, it's mm. not pretentious. It's, it, it just flows. Like you watch it. And the next thing you know, you've seen like three and a half episodes and you're like, I'm so into this. Like, I just want to see what happens next. And it's not, it's not like all that, dramatic i mean it is but you know i mean the end of season two is very dramatic it is yeah that's um, true that's true All the rest of it's pretty pretty <laughs> like you know it, it's like an 80s movie like really if you like the tone of karate kid it's that but for a more modern audience yes. and it's got some more language to it which is fun for johnny it earns its stripes for sure yeah it's i i i'll just say i did not expect it to be as good as it is i really underestimated it and it it threw me because i mean i like karate kid it's not my favorite but I, it's a good movie i like it 
this is something I really That's love. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't think you have to really enjoy Karate Kid right. to be into it. You don't have to watch all of the movies, too. You just, the first one, it's nice to know like a little bit of the context, but you can get into this anyway. Especially because yeah. like so much of that story is like it's in pop culture. People kind of know what the deal is with and, the Karate And so much kid. of it's about Johnny, too, which you only really get Johnny. You see him a little bit in the second movie, but you really only get Johnny in the first movie. And Johnny is as big or bigger of a part in the show than Daniel is. Well, he's a, yeah, he is like, in my opinion, the pro, like main protagonist. I, I, I agree. I agree. Which is, he gets the so chance to shine, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's Cobra Kai. Please check it out. It's on Netflix right now. So you don't have an excuse anymore. I mean, you could have, people could have watched this pretty easily. Like it was on YouTube premium, but like you could watch a bunch of it for free. It's not like it was locked to everyone unless you were paying whatever a month you could still check it out the thing is it you know people weren't watching it because they knew well if i like this i don't i'm not willing to pay yeah, YouTube. I, w- I wasn't and when it came out i hadn't seen karate kid and i was like i'm not gonna there are youtube or there are streaming services i'll try out i don't need to try out a youtube streaming service i hate youtube as much as it is i'm not gonna do this yeah so now that it's on netflix rock and i think roll. premium for youtube is kind of on its last legs it was youtube red for a while you know i've never I've, the the only good show it had was Cobra Kai. And so now that it's on Netflix, that premium YouTube thing is going to go away. Well, that's the thing is I think that it's still a valuable subscription service for like not getting ads. And there are some really great features that I, you know, I'm a premium subscriber and uh, I do that for, there are certain perks that really help me out. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube and I listen to a lot of podcasts through YouTube, funny enough. And I'm able to like actually turn like the screen off and listen to something doing that so that's pretty useful so you know i'm not trying to plug youtube premium or anything i'm just saying that was the main reason why i had it it never had anything to do with cobra kai necessarily but yeah like you said it's on netflix right now so you should definitely check that out lots lots of stuff flying around as content wise that's all the show tv stuff we're going to get into the movies of course we're going to review all the big films but first you know we do have to kind of you know turn things to a little bit more of a down note and, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's, it's, it's been a rough few days. Uh, we received the tragic news that Chadwick Boseman passed away after a four-year battle with colon cancer. And, you know, we, we're still grieving. You know, we've, we've lost this actor who has meant so much to so many people. And I, I've, I've really been having a hard time with this. You know, I, he's so young, only 43 years old. He, of course, played a lot of iconic roles as Jackie Robinson, James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, and, you know, the big one, Black Panther. You know, that was that was his moment when he broke out and people were like, this Black Panther character is changing everything. He became the first, like, black superhero to just become a worldwide phenomenon in a way that we just, we hadn't really seen before. We'd seen black superheroes on screen and everything, but... This was different. This was a moment. Black Panther was nominated for Oscars. I mean, we had we had this new character who just came along and was such an inspiring icon and hero for kids. And part of the reason, you know, he, he's lasted as a character is because the actor himself was so just so real with people. I've, I've always gotten the vibe from Chadwick Boseman. This guy just like loved acting, loved being in the position he was in. And I was so hopeful of like, we're going to get so many great films and, and we're going to be able to see this guy just like rise and grow and to see that cut short, you know, at the expense of his wife and his family. And 
uh, his kids who watched him in Black Panther. It just, it really takes me to a pretty sad place. And, you know, this was a guy, he was more than his work. You know, he was more than just an actor, right? I mean, not that being an actor is just a thing, but it's. He's an icon at this point. He was, like, yeah. Like he after was Black similar. Panther, there was, there was no, he was, he, he reached a tier that not many do, I think, especially after playing Jackie Robinson. And then, you know, and then taking on Black Panther and then the hero that that character is to so many people. It's not like, it's not like Batman, you know, where like, oh, you know, Ben Affleck or, you know, it's, it's like there is one Black Panther. There's one King T'Challa and it's Chadwick Boseman. And not only did he, was he the first person, but he, he embraced that character so fully. And, you know, there's an interview that came out or a, 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 an editorial that came out from Ryan Coogler today about, about Chadwick. And he talks about, how Chadwick helped form this character and how he so many decisions that we, that we watch in that movie actually came from Chadwick and uh, it just shows how passionate he was. And the fact that he was ever, almost everything that, that we've seen him in, I mean, really from Captain America civil war on, he was battling a life threatening disease through every single one of those films. And like, if you want to talk about, you, know, you, you mentioned his, his love for this, like, it shows right there. And it's like, he was already such a hero and how all this transpired, like just makes him even more heroic. I mean, he was visiting kids in cancer centers, trying to bring them up and, you know, while battling that himself. And, you know, this is, I've, I've mentioned this to some other people before, you know, the last couple of days, I've never cried over a celebrity passing away. I don't think maybe when Robin Williams died, I, you know, I got a little choked up. But it's it's hard, even when they're your hero, when you're someone you look up to, it's you don't know them personally, you know. But this this really hit me in a place that I could not explain where it came from. This, you know, I don't have a lot to add to this conversation, and I know like part of me hurts hurts for all the kids, like, especially all all the black kids in this in this country and across this world that like finally got to see themselves in him, and and idolize him for good reason, you know. To, to have that loss. And especially right now in the moment we're in, I mean, we, we are in a, a war, a battle for civil rights in our country, you know, and, and, and to lose a figure like him in the middle of that is, is devastating. But even on a personal level for me, it just, I, I looked up to him so much and I, I respected him so much. And I mean, he, he was a hero to me too. And I think this is the only time I, I, I was shaking. I was crying. I was, there, there was just, I did not have, I wasn't able to form thoughts for a minute. You know, it was just, I've never had something like that affect me this way. And, and I think that says a lot about who he was and how he carried himself. And, you know, this is, this one's gonna, this is going to hurt for a long time. And I, it puts, I think this, the character of Norman from defy bloods in such a different context. Yeah. You know, and, and it, like I said, I don't have a lot else to add other than, you know, this is, this hit hard for all of us, I think. And, and I'm, it's gonna it's gonna take a long time when when, when uh, Ma Rainey's comes out uh, the Netflix movie he's in with yeah Davis, his final film that's that's gonna be real tough for all of us and I, it it seems like it's gonna be an incredible film anyway but it's it's gonna be hard to go forward without him in, not just in Black Panther but in in our world whether on or off screen I mean he he changed things and to have that cut short and to see to say goodbye to that is is a really really hard thing for all of us and I'm. I, I'm, I'm going to hurt over that one for a while. Yeah, his uh, his last film, uh, like you mentioned, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's going to be released on Netflix, and uh, that's it's based on the August Wilson play. And 
You know, when this happened on Friday, when we found out what was going on Friday nights, the Cinemaholics crew, uh, the writers, podcasters, our whole group chat, we were just kind of, we, we, we were grieving about this. We were like, everybody was just, you know, like, what do we do? Like, how do, how do we process this? And one of, one of the things that we decided to do was like, let's, you know, we, we can't erase our pain. We can't forget about it. We can't pretend like it's not there where we're mourning, of course, and it pales in comparison to what people close to him are really going through at the moment. So we were thinking, you know what, let's do something, let's do some positive good for someone, you know, someone related to a cause that Bozeman himself supported. So at the top of the show, you already heard me talk about this. We're, we're putting some donations and some awareness effort behind the Starlight Children's Foundation. And this is something that Bozeman personally supported. And, you know, it's, it's a little thing, right? I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things to just be like, Hey, you should go donate to this cause. Yeah. And it, I, I want people to kind of look at that as like, if you don't know what to do right now and, and you want to still carry on what Bozeman was about and the inspiration that he brought to people, I think this is one way to do that. You know, not necessary way to do that. Of course, everybody handles stuff in a different way, but I hope, I hope some of you listening consider it. It might, you know, I know for me, it's, it's brought me to a, a, a place where I can really grapple with just the reality and kind of put things into perspective a bit. You know, it's, it's a really great cause. So links to that, of course, are in the show notes. And I, I'm really, I'm really hopeful for just kind of like the future of just, that this guy unlocked, you know, what, what he did with black Panther, it opened doors. Like we can't deny Absolutely. it. I mean, it just, it, it really just kicked the pants in Hollywood. And was like, you've been telling this stupid lie for so long that for whatever reason, you don't think that black actors, black actresses can carry a film to just worldwide success. Like you've never seen black Panther is one of the highest grossing films of all time. That doesn't happen by accident. And, and, you know, and it's, it's not because of a fluke, you know, it's because people were, people were waiting for something like this to not just get a movie like this. But it one it didn't just good. create success. I mean, it, this was a whole moment across our world, you know, like yeah. black Panther had a kind of energy that no other film in history has. And a lot of that was because of what Ryan Coogler did. A lot of it was because of, you know, what Denai Guerrera uh, and Lupita Nyong'o were able to do, but yeah. so much of it was because of Chadwick Boseman. And the kind of regal aura he carried with him in that role. And as soon as you saw him on screen in Civil War, it was like, I would follow this man anywhere. And so when his movie came out, you know, I could not get to it fast enough. Yeah. Because he, as soon as you see him on screen, it's like, nope, I'm, I am doing anything he would ever ask of me, you know? And, and I think in every role he played, he, he was that way. He had that same tenacity and, you know, it's, 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 it's idol worthy. You know, it's the kind of person it, it, it's icon status. If you have that kind of career to, to carry that weight. And, and I think he did it every single time he was on the screen. There, there is a reason why he's the first Marvel hero. to come through that portal, right? You know, it's, it wasn't anybody else. So before we finish things out, you know, we wanted some of the listeners to have their say as well. Uh, we started this new thing where we use the swell app to record your voicemail. So if you want to hear your voice on the show, highly recommend check out the Swell app available on iOS and Android. And uh, you can find a link to that in the show notes, of course, find Cinemahawks podcast. And we have like prompts and everything. And uh, we started doing this last week. 
Uh, this week we asked, you know, what did Chadwick Boseman mean to you? We got a couple of responses. So we're just going to finish out this conversation, hearing your voice and all this, uh, starting with, uh, and I should say, please, when you do this, like leave your name and where you're from, you don't have to, but if you can, that'd be really great. So, uh, here we go. Uh, starting with Joe. Uh, my first exposure to Bozeman was in 42. Um, that was the first time I saw him. I don't recall seeing him in anything else before that. If I did it, you know, obviously it was probably like a supporting role or something like that. Um, and I remember thinking what a fantastic job he did. And then when he was cast as Black Panther, when it was announced, um, I was really excited because, you know, it was it was nice to see uh, Feige and, and Marvel putting such care into these characters uh, with the actors, the quality of actors, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Ruffalo, you know, these these are not schlubs, you know, and uh, Bozeman, obviously, again, you know, they were putting that same care into this character that so many people weren't even aware of, didn't even know, but they were clearly, they had a roadmap, they were gonna do it right. And they chose uh, an amazing actor to take up that flag and introduce Black Panther to the world. And uh, I'm, I don't even need to address how well it was done and how much money that film made. And but more importantly, what it meant to young black children to see their hero, you know, someone who looked like them on the big screen being treated equally, not not a side character, not a, you know, not like some kind of supporting background. He was the star of his film. I remember in Civil War um, when he first made his appearance on screen, the theater that I was in lit up. They just started cheering, you know? Um, and that's the kind of presence that Bozeman brought to that character. So, you know, the, it's a shame. It's, it's, it's really a terrible loss because so much more was going to happen with him and T'Challa and Wakanda, more adventures were on the way uh, than what we got. And, you know, obviously I'm assuming they're going to recast it now, but what a tough position for the next guy to be in. Black Panther is my four-year-old's favorite Avenger. We are a big, big, big Marvel fan here. I am a Marvel fan. Both my boys are Marvel fans. And my four-year-old really latched on to him. He loves watching Black Panther movies, and he loves watching him in Civil War, the little bits that he's in it, you know. And uh, he even loved him so much that he has an action figure, and he even asked me to buy him a Black Panther suit, which of course I did, and it was not Halloween. <laughs> um, he's very sad to hear that he died. He doesn't want anybody to replace his character. That's how he, um, as Black Panther, that's how he kind of understands it at four, of course. Um... But yeah, I think that he was a phenomenal actor, not just as Black Panther. I also watched him last year in 2019 in 21 Bridges. I have not seen him in the 2013 film with Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Um, but now I'm thinking that I definitely need to watch it. And yeah, 
Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Thank you, uh, all of you who have responded. And uh, as always, yeah, check out the Swell app if you want to hear your voice as well. Um, again, link to that's in the show notes. With that, let's get into our first review of the week. Kind of hard to transition <laughs> from there, but uh, really glad we could finish on a note from hearing from all of you, the listeners. But all right, let's get on with our first review, The New Mutants. What's the last thing you remember, Danny? He said we had to run. The reason you survived is because you're a very uncommon girl. You're not alone. Not anymore. Do you know what mutants are? Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain? I was 13. I thought it was a dream. I just lost control. Sam? I started panicking. People got hurt. Roberto? My girlfriend had burned hair. Ileana? I killed 18 men. One by one. This isn't a hospital. It's a cage. It's important we find out your power so we can help you get better. I, I forget. Is, is it the new mutants or just new mutants? Do you know, Charlie? It is the, the, however you say that word. Okay. The new mutants. The new mutants. Not just, if you want to go not there, just any, know. yeah, not just any new mutants, right? Like these the are the new mutants. Yeah. Um, this is the long awaited, you know, as Charlie, you refer to this film as it's like your white whale. It's a film we never oh, thought yeah. would ever happen. Uh, we've been hearing about this movie for about four and a half years now. It uh, was always sort of billed as let's, you know, you know, they were in the middle of making things like Logan and they had just come out with like Deadpool. And the idea was let's keep this train going. We're, we're making these like X-Men sort of like spin-off standalone films that play with other genres. Deadpool was kind of this absurdist comedy, R-rated, of course. Logan was like an R-rated like Western. New Mutants was going to be like their horror film, but kind of mixed with YA, which is why they brought on Josh Boone. Josh Boone's the director of the Fallen Our Stars, which had just come out a couple of years before they started production on this one. And as a concept, I think we were all pretty excited about this. I mean, I know I was. I was like, yes, the new mutants is like an X-Men variant from the 80s in terms of the comics. We haven't really seen them come alive on screen, uh, it's at least not live action. And these are some interesting characters. Uh, you know, they have like ties, of course, to the main X-Men, but it was an exciting prospect of like, we're going to get something kind of in the vein of Deadpool and Logan that's trying something different with superhero movies. But the problem is that just things kept happening to delay this film for a while. Uh, it looked like Fox was playing around with the idea of doing reshoots. Those never came to be, but by the time they were gearing up for, you know, they'd already delayed it and it was going to come out in, in uh, you know, around like April, 2018, something like that, about uh, a year after they were filming it. Then, uh, you know, Disney was like, hold on. <laughs> we uh we have some plans for you fox and because of the disney fox merger a lot of this stuff really just started getting it got pushed it got delayed we thought it was going to come out last year it didn't and 
a lot of people were like, well, you know what? This seems like the kind of thing where it's not Dark Phoenix, which came out last summer. It's not something that's probably going to do super well in theaters because people are kind of over the X-Men franchise now that there's like this promise of it being an MCU thing. People are like, oh yeah, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to reboot all of this. So maybe this doesn't belong in theaters. The problem is Disney still had to put it in theaters contractually. We talked about this on the show before, but they would have lost a lot of money due to like legal issues. And there, there are still a lot of laws in place when it comes to what theaters can or what theaters have to play or what studios have to play through theaters based on the contracts they do with production crews. So New Mutants had to be a theatrical thing. So we were going to get it this year. And then coronavirus was like, well, that's cute that you think this is going to happen. Sorry, but uh, theaters are now closed indefinitely. And here we are in August, uh, the the very end of August, and Disney's finally like, you know what? We're going to put this out on theaters anyway. We don't care what anybody says, we're going to put it in theaters. And even though it's still pretty dangerous to do so fine, it can also be in drive-ins. So if you, if you feel like uh, not risking your life for this movie, you can do that. And uh, we're going to have to say at the top of the show here, please do not see this at a movie theater. If you are in the United States. Now I understand in a lot of other countries, you have the virus under control places like, uh, I want to say like Australia. And then, you know, I I don't want to say anything too, you know, ahead of myself here because I'm not in those countries. I don't know what the situation is, but If the coronavirus cases are down in your country, it is safe to do so by all means. We have plenty of listeners overseas who can check this out in a theater. Obviously, you you know the risks in your own particular area. But in the United States, no. Like People should not be going to theaters right now. We still lead the world in coronavirus cases. Uh, This is still very much a thing here. And, you know, it couldn't just, it's not just something that could harm you. It could harm somebody you care about if you come into contact with them. So we are, we are talking about this film. However, we, you know, I didn't see this in a theater. I saw this at a drive-in. Drive-ins, of course, are a perfectly acceptable way to, to watch something like this theatrically because it's the only way you can see it. Um, I believe it's, it's a perfectly acceptable way to do so. If you're, you're being safe, you're wearing your mask, you're socially distancing and everything like that. By all means, go enjoy the new mutants. But uh, it's Cinemaholics. No, we we do not we do not encourage anybody to be going to a theater right now. Please do not do that. Uh, that is just a terrible idea. I don't care if your state has them open. Uh, this is still very much a thing that can really make things worse. And uh, we we don't want movies to be the cause of that. We don't want to prolong this problem. We want theaters to open up the right way as soon as possible. That's not going to happen if we do it too soon. We've already seen this bear out how many times. So that that's our stance as a, as a Cinemaholics team. And so that's why we're, we're trying to tread pretty cautiously with all of this, all of this stuff right now. So New Mutants saw it at a drive-in, but you know, Charlie, I kind of teased this earlier that this is something you've been really looking forward to just, just to see, is this really going to happen? Um, so kind of give us the rundown, you know, what's your story with this movie? And then if you can just kind of quickly tell us what, what's the, what's the setup here? Who's in this movie? What are we watching? Uh, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's talk about new mutants. Okay. So this was the, like you said, the final Fox uh, X-Men film, and it was made around uh, the same time as dark Phoenix, uh, yeah, dark Phoenix and, uh, Deadpool two. And a lot of that, yeah. um, Logan, it kind of was announced after, as Logan was being made. It was shot in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And, and so part of the reason this one meant so much to me is, is because I started working in this industry at the end in 2016, I got hired on full-time at comicbook.com at the end of 2016, a couple of months or a couple of weeks, I'm sorry, before I got married actually. So really a lot of my adult life and the things that matter, you know, have been in kind of condensing these four years. And this is one of those that we were talking about when I started, you know, when I started working, we were talking about new mutants because it had already been announced and they were gearing up for production and it has now finally come out. So it's really spanned my entire career. And, you know, at first, 
like everybody, it was one of those, you know, hey, there's a lot of reshoots. There were there was conversations that they were going to add characters in these big reshoots. You know, they they cast people like Maisie Williams as she was starting to blow up from Game of Thrones, uh, Anya Taylor Joy before she was or when she was in Split. You know, they were they were casting uh, Charlie Heaton right as the first season, right after the first season of Game of Thrones. Like they had, had gotten these these young actors that were coming up, um, and they were going to play these new mutants, which from from the pages of Marvel Comics, uh, new mutants were kind of an offshoot of the X Men. And they were, you know, a younger team and they had different powers. And there's the biggest, most popular New Mutant story is the Demon Bear saga, which is what this film was going to follow. And it was going to eventually tie into the other X-Men stories, but it was mostly going to be kind of standalone and um, and build its own thing. Actually, I think Boone had a trilogy planned out for these characters. Yeah, there was going to be like a post credit sequence, but then he literally took it out. The second one was going to be take place mostly in Brazil at uh, Sunspot's home. Uh, and they had already, they actually had talked to, uh, Antonio Banderas was going to be the villain of the second movie. Cause he was going to play Roberto's dad and was going to be a kind of a villain character in, in the second film. So I'm kind of bummed we're never going to see Antonio Banderas in an X-Men movie, but Sam, yeah. Uh, Although glad to hear he, uh, he's officially recovered from coronavirus. So yes. Some good news. There. Yes. We all love Antonio. The mask of Zorro is one of the greatest blockbuster films of all time. So. It's my favorite movie ever. Still saying that because that, so that's true. another one I just watched this year for the first time. Oh, Charlie, welcome to the. Oh, fan. it's amazing. Martin Campbell. I, I wish Green Lantern didn't happen because Martin Campbell is oh, a treasure. Welcome, a welcome to the mission. We're glad to have Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So anyway, that was kind of the story of this movie, and, and what they did is they kind of wanted to take Breakfast Club meets a haunted house uh, asylum type thing and put it in the world of the X Men. And so conceptually, for me, that is such a great concept. It's all the things I love put into one thing, and. There was, again, all these years of these production issues and rumors. And then when Disney bought Fox, they were just going to put it out as is. And Josh Boom is going to get his cut, which sounds like a great idea with all the Snyder nonsense happening. And, you know, he's going to get to do his version of the movie. And it has come out and it exists. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to you for a minute because that's kind of where we're we're caught up. I mean, that, that's that's the story. It's hard to describe the story because there's really not a lot to it. These mutants it's small. don't it's a, know a lot about their yeah. powers and they get put in this I guess there is more to say about they they get put in a hospital where they think is a hospital. Um, And Dr. Uh, Reyes, who's played by Alice Braga is supposedly helping them learn to control their powers and things start happening that are of their control. And they think that maybe the place that they're in is not there to help them very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think based on what I understand, they were, they were kind of teasing that this was like, you know, supposed to be more in the Logan continuity that there, there's going to be a connection between these kids and the like runaway kids. And there, there very much is in this film without giving too much away. There is a big through, you know, a connective tissue through line with this and especially with Logan, but also with X-Men apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. There was, those movies were all supposed to come out kind of within a year of each other. So a year and a half or so. So they, there was a lot of tissue there that would have brought them together. They were, they were ultimately trying to set up Mr. Sinister as a big, essentially as a Thanos of the X-Men films, trying to drop hints in different movies and kind of have him as a big bad for a lot of different X-Men characters to go up against eventually. That's the way it seems having watching this. Yeah. And Sinister is a great character. uh, And I would love to see Sinister on screen. See, here's the thing here. Here's, here's the thing that I want out of an X-Men movie. And this movie, I actually get some of that stuff. No Magneto. I love Magneto. I love Wolverine. Great characters. Lots of fun. I don't want to see them in these movies anymore for a while. Just give me a break. Like we've seen so much Magneto, so much Wolverine, plenty of Professor X. What I liked about this movie was that it was like totally new characters, way less continuity stuff. And really just more about like just tell an interesting story in the X-Men universe. And I think that's what it's trying to do. 
I think for the most part, it basically does that. I think this actually, this movie's all right. I, I, I honestly yeah. think it's, is it worth driving 35 to 40 minutes for me to go to the drive-in sitting in that line and kind of just like being uncomfortable in my car, wishing that everybody around me would just like stop moving around in their pickup trucks for like 10 seconds so I can enjoy this movie. Turn your headlights off too. If you have a second, that would be nice. I, I would have loved to see this at home. I would have loved to see this on my TV late at night. Watch it with the, you know, watch it with the fiance, you know, make some popcorn. Let's do it. Let's watch new music. It makes me so happy when you say fiance, John. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited. Thanks, man. That's so great. You know, uh, I should, I should say, you know, she, uh, she, 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 uh, she's not here at the moment, but uh, I I won't let her know that she got name dropped this much. I don't want her to find out, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say name dropped technically, but anyway, this is the kind of movie I would have enjoyed just watching at home. And so it does bug me a little bit that I had to watch it in a less optimal way. I don't think the drive-in experience, at least in my experience, has ever been that great. I, I don't think you get the best picture, or best audio quality. It's the, serviceable. The drive-in experience is, is real. I've, I've been a couple times this summer through all this COVID stuff. And I really love the drive-in for watching movies that aren't brand new. Uh, there exactly. are some exceptions. Exactly. I think I think Bill and Ted would have been a great drive-in movie. Um, sure. But, you know, I mentioned E.T. Uh, I saw E.T. for the first time. There's an E.T. and Back to the Future double feature at a drive-in. And that was such an incredible one-two for me. If it weren't for the fires, we were actually going to watch uh, Indiana Jones and uh, Temple of Doom on, at yeah. the drive-in. That that yeah. is a drive-in. Those movie. are great. Um, Jaws. We had a we had a Jurassic Park Jaws double feature here. Uh, I another one for the first time was Footloose. I saw Dirty Dancing and Footloose at the drive-in. Those are great, great drive-in experiences. New Mutants is not. I don't feel a great. That, that movie was made to be in an enclosed space. You know, you're at home. I yeah, did. That's the movie. But that it is. A, it's a better experience to watch it in an enclosed space. I would have preferred that been at home. I, I I think it's there's not really an optimal way to watch it right now because it's not it's not like Tenet where you understand like yeah this is a theater movie again not encouraging going to a theater just that's the that's the kind of movie that's a theater movie even then Tenet is something I don't want to that's the only way I can watch it is in a drive-in right mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to see it on a drive-in screen I don't think the drive-in screen has as much right. detail just because of the, right. the mechanics of my particular area maybe some people yeah. have a drive-in setup that is much better than mine that's probably the case. But well, so I, I just Ted, feel like it, waiting. You know, the the t- the edits and the details in something like Bill and Ted aren't quite as important in a Tenet or the color in a New Mutants, you know. And that's a fun movie. That's just it's just to mean to be fun, and we'll talk about that later. But that's a great driving yeah. movie. Let's talk about the movie itself. You know, this, we we haven't talked about the story too much beyond you know a, a lot of this movie, as you mentioned, it is very Breakfast Club. Uh, you know, I'm not as caught up on New Mutants as a comic series, but I do like the conceit of it. It's like let's hang out with these different mutants and. Yeah, we get, we first were introduced to Danny Moonstar, who is a Cheyenne Native American, and her prologue, as uh, we're we're sort of like this is the first thing we see in the movie, is we see her sort of escaping um, something very destructive that has happened, and the next thing she knows, she's in this hospital and she meets all of these uh, these new mutants, and she develops an interesting relationship with Maisie Williams' character, who is known as Wolfsbane. And what's interesting about this movie is it doesn't just overload you with here's each character and their power. It's not a dossier, you know, like we do get kind of a slow build. We meet Anya Taylor-Joy's character, uh, Ilyana Rasputin, who is connected. The movie doesn't touch on this too much, but she is connected to Colossus. I think she's like a sister or cousin or something like that. She is Colossus's sister. Okay, yeah. So she and, and she a bunch of drafts of this movie had Colossus appearing in the film. Well, Which I'm I wish would happen because I'm, I mean, I'm glad he doesn't, but I also I'm, I, I don't want that. I'm just, I'm, I'm friends with the guy who plays Colossus and I just love seeing him and stuff. So shout oh, out okay. to that uh, makes sense. Stefan. Anyway, continue. 
Hey, you know, if it's if it's for Stefan, I'm I'm fine. Yeah, with it. I, I got a name drop. He's that, that that's that's like that's my boy. That's my guy. So anytime <laughs> he's in stuff, you know, I want it to happen. I can't say I'm friends with Anya Taylor Joy, but I can say that I believe that she is cheated here because I think that in a different X Men universe, this is the a star is born in terms of this. Character. And it's a perfect match for that character I and actor. Love like, this it's character. So good together. She's so the good dialogue she gets is the worst. Now, yes. So we mm. we got it. We got to bring that up. It was hard to listen to. She's a bit of a bully in the early part of the movie. She uh, there's racial slurs coming out of her mouth. Now we do get like tragic backstory stuff that's meant to like humanize her and everything like that. But it's still, you know, it's just like, man, you, you, I don't even, have to hate this she was character insulting, that much. It's that the insults were bad. They were just dumb, bad insults. It, it was confusing too with the puppet, and they, they just—I don't know—they—they—they they, they don't handle her as gracefully as they need to, and that is the biggest criticism I give this movie. Now, this is not a movie that I think is all that bad. I do think it's pretty enjoyable. It's only some pain points. The problem is it's edited down to the just bone. They took a movie that was clearly about like roughly two hours, maybe two hours and a few minutes, and they hacked it to pieces. And you can really tell when you're watching this, and it's hard to appreciate the filmmaking because there are so many editing mistakes. There's so many pacing errors. So the, there's, there's some big ADR mistakes. Oh my goodness. Oh, there's there's I, some blatant, like I, some of the most noticeable I've like I've ever seen in terms of like. See, I wasn't sure if that was the drive-in experience. Oh no, it is not. It is not the driving experience. That was that was messed up, you know. And it's it, it's hard. This it, ironically, this movie needed reshoots. <laughs> I'm not even talking <laughs> about to overhaul the whole story, but like most movies have reshoots, and and they're because they're intended to clean things yeah, up. It's and too that's late, what this of course. Needed. You know, like my, Macy Williams has grown up, and like you know, it's right. I think that like these char- these actors have sort of moved on, but because the issue was they wanted to do all these reshoots initially, and Fox wanted to really overhaul the film, and the right. reshoots They're were going to take it. months, and so they waited to schedule reshoots because they were going to take such a chunk of time. And and it's a then, low budget, so it would make right. sense for them to just redo the whole thing. Because so the then, by that time, the more. Disney purchase happened, so they could not. They didn't schedule reshoots because Disney wasn't going right. to pay for that, and so even the regular reshoots just got cut at that point. And it really showed. You know, they they have those moments where it's kind of messed up, and they, they you know, like you said, kind of getting hacked up. They didn't. None of the stories, except for Danielle Moonstar, were like they, there was no finish, there was no ending, there was no arc to the rest of them. They they set up all these backstories and all these things they had to overcome, and at the end, they're just like, all right, here we are, and it. Really really just skipped so much of it because of how this was edited and how how little they had to to work with essentially there's certainly a version of this movie where it's not as predictable because the movie only gives you so much information so it's really easy to piece together what the movie is and what the central mystery and why things are happening so you're way ahead of the characters in that respect i think a different version of this movie is no you're in a lot of these other characters heads you're seeing way more of sunspot you're seeing more of cannonball and you're seeing more like you're able to be like okay anything could happen here like it's not as obvious of a plot twist yeah. as the movie might make it out to be. Unfortunately, that's just this is not the case. Now, it doesn't mean the movie's not enjoyable enough. I mean, you really no, it, you fine. get stuff in here. You get morsels of fun and some of the horror there's, stuff. Is I, I, I will say there's a, there's a last about the last twenty minutes. I didn't love the ending itself at the last like two three minutes of the film where it, like the actual ending. Yeah, it's but cheesy. really the the third act is very good when they get to actually they play with horror stuff and they're doing their X Men powers. Like some of that stuff is gorgeous. The demon bear design is fantastic the whole uh limbo where, cool, where magic yeah. kind of draw our powers, powers from um 
the way they animate Cannonball, like a lot of that is really good, but it takes so long to get there and the stuff before it is not super interesting. Um, you know, but I, I do appreciate that the best part of the film is towards the end. And so you really leave with a more enjoyable experience. Um, it's just, it's inconsistent in its enjoyability. And honestly, I think that's my, the toughest thing for me is that it is just, you know, like you said, it's, it's a fine film. It, it's average. And that's after all of this with New Mutants, after what this movie became, yeah. like I mentioned, you know, my white whale, like after the, the legend of the New Mutants, all we have is this very average normal movie. It's not great. I, I would have so much rather this been like a cat situation where it was just <laughs> so atrocious that we could I won't not go that stop talking about. Right, I, I don't I don't wish for those movies to exist. But after all this, like I want something to talk about. And this movie was just it just simply exists. And there is the sort of feeling that like people thought this might be a new cult classic. I just I don't think it's Mm-mm. weird it enough for it. that. You know, like it's not. It, and we should say like part of the reason it feels very average is because it doesn't do anything particularly inventive. It's easy to sort of sum up what they're going for here. Even with the horror stuff, it's all sort of just you can tell they were heavily inspired yeah. by the by the um, making of it. They were really like that movie was just oh, coming out. Especially when they were making the this. ending. I, yeah. It sucks that this movie came out after it chapter two. I don't want to spoil the film, but it chapter two had an ending that I very much hated. And I think I hated this one more because it was very much like that ending. And this came out second. Yeah. Even though this was made first. I won't get too into too much detail about that, but it's just yeah. it's so on the nose. It's it's you know, it's very CW. Not that I dislike mm-hmm. the CW this, or anything. This movie but, you know. was a great TV pilot. And Josh Boone is more of a TV director most of the time. I think that this if they were if they were making a New Mutants TV series, this would have been a really good pilot yeah, to start. Strong on. start. I would have been, I, I absolutely would have tuned in the next week to see what would happen. But on a big screen, especially in getting dumped in the pandemic, for me, going to a theater that wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world. You know, I didn't mind only being a couple people there, but I still it's it's a weird feeling to be there and again it's it's to the point where i don't encourage anyone else to do it and to be there was like for this like this it's for this but i don't i don't think this deserves this you know it was it it just it's painfully average and you know i i'm glad it's finally out it just kind of feels like my world would change when this was over and there's nothing changing about i will say we're gonna like i wrote my review which you can find on comment.com i wrote about how the legend of of this movie, the legacy is what we're going to remember, you know, not the film itself. All of this film's legacy is going to be in its, in its background about the trouble production about never it, it rumors. It was never going to come out all this stuff. Um, but also from a social perspective and, and it's like in this, this social tug of war, which is so fascinating to me on one hand, it's a big step backward. There is some serious whitewashing that happens in this movie. And a lot of people are very upset about it. And Josh Boone was asked about it and he did not handle those answers very well. I think he's a good intention guy personally, but I, I, he, he did not answer those questions well at all or really help himself with how he answers questions about, you know, Roberto is half black and, and he is a dark skin character in the comics and where he comes from. And that was pretty much ignored. And Dr. Reyes is the same way. And they cast Rosario Dawson to play her. And then she left the film and she was replaced with uh, Alice Braga. And, you know, two instances where these characters were given much lighter skin than their characters in the comic books. And so, that's a big issue for people. And I uh, totally understand that. And so that's a, re- that's a really big step backward. But on the other hand, this is also a comic book. This is a Marvel film that has a, a lesbian love story front and center. It's not two background characters. It's not, it doesn't, it's not a throwaway plot device. It is central to the story and is a genuine connection between these two characters. And that's the first time we've ever seen that. So it, it's got kind of two sides of this tug of war and it's going to be remembered for those things rather than what anything that happens in the movie itself. 
I do think it's kind of funny, though, as like a piece of trivia. It, it's almost kind of sad that um, this movie is probably the first time that like the main character is in like an LGBT love story, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and what's sad about that is like TV is so far ahead of movies in this way. Like we've gotten so many, so many shows with superheroes where main characters are much more diverse. They, they have, there's just so many different types of stories being told. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's something that I don't think Hollywood kind of understands as a, just as a general entity of like how much appetite there is for like different stories being told in a way that it, that feels like natural and feels like, you know, not like they're doing it to, for pandering, not that they're doing it for points, you know, that's, it's not like, not they're doing it for like the end game thing where they can be like, well, look, we, we mentioned that a character might, you know, is, is gay in a sentence, you know, but actually like crafting stories around different lived in and human experiences in a way that's universal in a way that, you know, allows people to connect with each other on just different types of levels. And, we're not going to look at new mutants as the pioneer of that. I mean, it's, it does it in a way that, like you said, it's a way that TV has been doing it for the longest time. So it's not very noteworthy in that respect. And, but I do agree that it, it is a welcome thing. And, you know, it, you mentioned the, you know, the whitewashing that happens in here. I mean, yeah, that's very much a thing. And I think, you know, Bob McLeod, uh, one of the co-creators uh, with Chris Claremont, you know, he was like, you know, I was excited about this idea. It was like, yeah, it's, you know, take new mutants and turn into a horror thing. That's fun. And then he was like, I can't believe that they spelled my name wrong in the credits. Like they didn't have the, just the care to do a quick Google search to make sure that this guy's name is spelled right. And that's a kind of disrespect that I think, yeah, they just rushed this thing out the door because they had to which is ironic because it was on the shelf for four years and you know it was in in some kind of production for four years and it's it's it feels so rushed like it's that amount of irony is just it's one thing if it's just complete like doolittle was a situation where it was so overdone by the time it came out like it, there were so many things that were done too much they kept making different decisions and adding on top of it so they got something that was just a total mess and this was the exact opposite like it was sitting around forever and they just weren't allowed to do anything with it so when the time it came out it's like we have this orig- original thing we made and we were rushed because we didn't have all this other stuff and it is what it is you know it's it's kind of it's kind of a shame to see what what was a truly great idea i think end up whether by fault of a filmmaker or by a studio issue whatever kind of become just this it's not the worst movie ever you know it's better than a lot of the other x-men movies which says a lot about that franchise as a whole but you know it just it is let's get into our final thoughts here and that that's my final thought is that no it's not the worst x-men movie i i know there there was some discussion about that online of like yeah this is the worst one come on no dark phoenix in my opinion Uh, oh yeah Dark Phoenix, I felt a lot like this one. I was like, Dark Phoenix was fine. I didn't have any issue with it. It wasn't good, but it didn't bother me. You know, there's some like X-Men Wolverine that are Origins Wolverine that are just so incredibly bad. Like, you know. See, I don't, I don't you, like you, that. You talk about, much, cats, you talk about mean, cats level disasters. Like, that's what that looks like for me. I um, disagree, kind of. I, I, I mean, honestly, you, you, take, you take Deadpool, who is the most, like, the character known for talking, and you seal his yeah, mouth shut yeah. in the first I act get of the it. Film. I get it. But, you know, aside from that, I, I, I honestly don't think that film's nearly as bad as it gets some credit, you know. The point is, X-Men franchise had a lot of stinkers. And not many truly great films. This one's close to the bottom, but it's definitely not. It's definitely not the bottom. It's in the the low middle. This is a C plus for me. Very low C plus. It's, It's almost a C but I do think there are a couple of things here that I do think are enjoyable enough. And I, I genuinely think some people are going to watch this and be like, this is a lot better because their expectations will be so low. So my thing is like, if your expectations are pretty low, but you still have a little bit of curiosity, for sure, go check it out. You know, like it, if it's at the drive-in or just wait for yeah, it. I mean, be, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to watch streaming. it again when it comes out. 
at home. Like I, I'm, I, I'm, I was will. intrigued by it because I want to watch all that Demon Bear stuff again. I, that that final act to me is going to be worth renting it on digital. You know, like that's I'm gonna I'm gonna be excited to to see that part again and see that stuff and you know. But overall, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I I give it a C. I was a little bit lower, but you know, it's it's the most average you can get with stuff. It's got good. It's got bad. Don't go to a theater and watch it right now for sure. C for Cannonball because Cannonball is average. Oh, and that's I just said that one thing. I'm so sorry because uh, I, I want to move on from this. But Charlie Heaton is a great actor, as we've seen in Stranger Things. That accent that Cannonball has is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Yeah, it's not great. He's supposed to be from <laughs> Kentucky, and it sounds like on a sketch comedy show where they're trying to make fun of Southern accents. That's what his accent sounds right, like. Right, yeah. I, mean, I thought he was very, very bad. It's like they brought him on for Black Jeopardy or something. It wasn't quite, so, wasn't quite there. So bad. I feel like Captain Ahab. I am very <laughs> let down and do not feel fulfilled by uh, by the uh, the capture of my white whale. Well, I want to talk about a film that actually did like fulfill something that I didn't even know I wanted. That's Bill and Ted Face the Music, mm-hmm. the third installment in the Bill and Ted trilogy. It is a sequel to the first film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989, and its sequel, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which came out in 1991. This new film follows the return of Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. They're back as Ted and Bill, respectively. The kind of, you know, they're not the the brightest bulls, but they have big vocabularies. They're very nice and heartwarming. Big hearts. Good dudes. Big hearts. They're excellent to each other. Most excellent. They've, you know, a lot of stuff has gone right for them all these years later. They're in the middle age. They're still married to their wonderful wives, played by Princesses, Mays. Princesses of course, from the 1400s, if you watch the earlier films. Um, but yes, uh, Aaron Hayes and Jayma Mays play their wives, and uh, they now have two wonderful daughters. First one is played by Samara Weaving, uh, Theodora, Thea. Uh, <laughs> Preston, and of course, uh, Billy, played by Bridget Lundy Payne. Uh, both both actresses who are definitely on the rise. You know, Samara Weaving, we've seen in movies like Ready or Not, and uh, Netflix's Hollywood, and we've seen Bridget Lundy Payne and other Netflix stuff actually in uh, Atypical. And mm-hmm. this movie kind of is it's not it's not a direct passing of the torch. We spent a lot of time with Bill and Ted on a new time travel crazy journey where they have to save all of the universe with like the song that will unite the world. And, you know, you don't watch the Bill and Ted movies for the plot. You don't watch it for the time travel rules or any of that bogus stuff. You watch it for these excellent dudes and some excellent comedy. Now I'm going to say, uh, I, I'm really bummed I couldn't have seen this in a theater. I was really looking forward to that being the case. I really, really enjoy these films. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, first time I saw it was in middle school. Uh, my history teacher invited a bunch of us um, over to her house, and we watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, and I was in love with this movie. You know, I, I was just like, this is so fun. And, you know, like 80s movies can be cool, too. And, you know, I liked it, some 80s movies when I was in middle school. But, you know, I I was that typical yeah kid who just watched a lot of I, I was pretty weird about watching uh, classic films. It's like if it's not in black and white, it, it looks weird. Like it's too grainy. You know, I was a weird kid. But Bill and Ted definitely opened my eyes and my ears to some pretty bodacious tunes. And I've, I've always liked Excellent Adventure, seen it plenty of times, only seen Bogus Journey once. I, I'm not as into that movie, but I still enjoy it quite a bit. It's a lot of fun. The Grim Reaper is in it. I mean, you, who's complaining? And this third film, I mean, what a way to end this trilogy. It's like, you know, this is like the Toy Story 3 of how they could have done this. Like best case scenario, in my opinion. Now I understand Lash messaged me and he was like, John, 
you you have the highest review of Bill and Ted face and music that I've seen. And I'm a little, he, he was surprised by this. I think he was waiting for me to be a little grumpy about this movie. And it's not that it, this movie's gotten tons of like lower reviews. I think a lot of people look at this movie and they give it middling B minus, you know, three and a half stars out of five, three stars out of five. I'm not, I'm a four star out of five with this one. Uh, I, I just thought this movie was hilarious. I was laughing and laughing and I felt good watching this. And I, I guess it's because I was just completely on the wavelength for this one from beginning to finish. So I, I just have nothing but nice stuff to say. Could I, could I complain? Of course, there are things that happen in this movie that are very ridiculous, but none of it happened where I was but like, the movie, ah. the movie owns that. And that's what I think this franchise has done so well. Uh, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson as, as writers have done such an incredible job. I should say such an excellent job with these movies um, because there are so many films that people talk about. Like, oh, I don't watch it for the plot. I watch it for this thing. One of the biggest discussions and arguments I had last year was about Godzilla King of Monsters, where they were like, I want to just going to want to see monster fights. I'm like, that's great. But the movie tries to do so much more than that and fails to do it. It does not just try to be a monster movie. It tries to tell this whole story and it fails at that. So I have a hard time with watching just monsters fight. There also isn't a lot of that in there, but that's just an example I used to say. Was like, it a wasn't lot of films- expecting Godzilla to be brought into this, but all right. <laughs> that's where we are. You know, it, it it was a movie that I, I got in arguments with people because they would say like, oh, I, you know, but yeah, the plot's not good, but that doesn't matter. I just want to watch monsters fight. It's like, well, okay, that's cool. But the directors aren't with you. The writers aren't with you in that. They're not trying to just make monsters fight. They're trying to tell a whole story and they're bad at it. And the monsters are, are kind of fighting. With Bill and Ted, what I love so much is like, this plot is ridiculous. And it doesn't, there's nothing to the plot at all. It doesn't make any sense. The time travel stuff does not make any sense. But they never once try to make it make sense. They know exactly what they're going for. They're just, they are there to have a good time and to make you have a good time. And that just flows so much into how they write these films. And from Excellent Adventure to Bogus Journey to Face the Music, all of them are just like, they're just there to make you laugh and to make you smile. And they know that their time travel plot is totally bogus. They get it. They don't care. They're, they don't write it to make it make sense. They write it to be fun. And I think those two writers are just some of the best at capturing exactly the tone they want. I I think about Ed Solomon wrote uh, men in black, and that is such a unique tone for a blockbuster film. And I I just think he, he really, really gets the fun element of this. And, so I, I, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying. Cause I, I really feel like this is just a fun, exciting, just heartwarming film. And that is everything it intends to be. And I love how far they went with just like, here's my concept and we are sticking as hard to it as possible. And it's, it's so great for that. Charlie, I, I have to push back a little bit on one thing you said, everything, everything else you said, hundred percent, perfect, no flaws detected, uh, perfect speech. Uh, but there was one thing you said, you said, nothing makes sense. False. Dennis makes sense. Dennis makes all Dennis is the best. He makes best. a lot of sense. He you know you 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 were introduced to Dennis and his character comes alive and you know but okay. So we should say part part of the plot is that you know these guys Ted and Bill and yeah, they, they're like, okay, we got to save the world. So they, they go on a bunch of time travel shenanigans. And I'll, I'll say this is not the strongest part of the film when they're kind of bouncing around and kind of, it's like a doctor who sort of thing. And, you know, they're meeting their older selves and they're, you know, kind of going to a prison and uh, Dave Grohl shows up. And it's like that stuff. So, you know, it's fine. Uh, but it, it, my favorite moments of this film, I'll start with some of the more down to earth ones. There's a couple's counseling session that is just very funny, pitch perfectly written. I, I think that uh, everything with the very beginning of this movie, it has like the soul of uh, I tweeted this out and I got a little bit of pushback from someone named Will Ash. And once again, 
Uh, speaking of people's white whales, uh, I said I said that this movie is kind of like uh, the f- it, it's about the Catalina wine mixer from Step Brothers. It, it kind of takes what's great about that entire scene and just stretches it into a whole movie, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And that's what I love about it. But yes, the other element of this film that really does work for me is, first of all, compared to the first two movies, the female characters get way more to do than they did before. And uh, particularly with the daughters here, um, Weaving and Lundy Payne go on their own time travel journey where they're kind of creating like the greatest band in history by, you know, picking out all these people. I don't want to spoil who they are because that's the fun of discovering who they're going to run into next. And it's such a fun subplot. It's one of those cases where the subplot can outshine the main plot. And that's that's a sign to me that like this movie is definitely what I'm wanting. It's it's definitely going after something that I'm itching for. And, you know, it it all devolves into all the lunacy and craziness. But just when it starts to wear out its welcome, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're in hell, you know, and you know, and I mean that literally. And, you know, there's, there's a whole new scene that is just funny for different reasons. It's funny without going into like the crazy slapstick or the larger than, you know, what comedies do these days to try to make us laugh is so aggressive and it's so just trying so hard. This movie, like you mentioned with Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, I mean, they are just, they, they know how to write jokes that are just timeless, you know, to be sort of uh, throw a pun in there, I guess, but you know, it does really fit like this. This is the kind of humor that just really stretches to a lot of different sensibilities. It's very 80s in that way. And so, and I, and I was a big fan of this thing from start to finish. Wholesome, you know, there's, it's not good, clean, Christian fun, but it's pretty close. And uh, yeah, it's, definitely, it's definitely pretty I'm close. About it. Definitely pretty close. Um, you and I talked before the podcast, and I don't want to spend too long on this, you know, because we get it. I have not seen some movies from when I was young or before I was born. But uh, the Bill and Ted movies are ones that I just, I missed. I know. I knew about Excellent Adventure. I'd seen clips and bits and I knew what happened, but I watched both of them in the last month or two. And I watched Excellent Adventure and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun movie. I got why people liked it so much. It didn't click for me like it sounds like it clicked for you, um, but I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a really pleasant time and really enjoyed watching it. Uh, probably last week, I watched Bogus Journey and I think it's it's one of my new favorites. It I was floored. I almost turned it on again after it had ended. I loved Bogus Journey so much. I don't know why. I think it was just, there's a Bill and Ted excellent adventure has a story and a plot and it's like, it's kind of ridiculous, but we keep it grounded. And then kind of like what happens with gremlins, just not quite as intense. Bogus journey is like, we're going to take this movie that was already kind of ridiculous and we're not going to stop being weird. Anytime there's like a, is this too weird? Like, nope. And then just blow through that wall and just, there's a whole sequence where they're in hell and it's crazy. And uh, William Sadler as death is one of the funnier supporting characters in movies like this. I mean, he is so good in both <laughs> bogus journey and in face the music. The idea of like going to hell instead of time going through time was just very funny because it allowed them to get even weirder. It allowed them to like play with different concepts and yeah. you know, they had their own personal versions of hell and it just got gross at times. And I, I, I loved bogus journey for whatever reason, just absolutely crushed for me. Uh, and so I, I was, I, I was very excited for face of the music having just seen bogus journey. And I think they did a lot of great stuff with face of the music. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I, like you brought up Dennis, um, he was the MVP for a lot of people for the film. And I, I he, th- that's the case for me. He did in this movie, what death did for me in bogus journey, where you have this side okay. character that like just absolutely makes you roll with every line delivery. I mean, every time William Sadler speaks in bogus journey, I, I, I lost it. Well, fans of Barry will recognize him. Well, at least you won't recognize, recognize his name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anthony Kerrigan. 
Uh, right. Sorry, I didn't want to say no that. Hank. So sorry. Uh, he plays no Hank. And so for me, you know, when I started working at the site, one of the shows I took over was Gotham. I'm one of those weird people that thinks Gotham is actually an excellent show and really, truly loves it because it, it is it is so wacky in its final seasons. And if you know anything about Batman, uh, you know, the, the villain Victor Zaz and uh, Anthony Kerrigan plays Zaz on Gotham. And he is such a weird, hilarious iteration of that character. And it got to the point in later seasons where they would write more for him because Anthony Kerrigan was so good in that role, they couldn't let him walk away. Same thing with Barry. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so he went from that to then Barry. And I was like, I can't wait to watch Barry. Even though you have Henry Winkler and um, and Bill Hader on the show, I was like, I cannot wait to go watch Anthony Kerrigan in another thing. And now everyone knows Anthony Kerrigan. And I'm so glad because Barry really kind of opened up things for him. And you really, it's hard to recognize him in this movie, but he has a couple of line deliveries in the third yeah. act that are just incredibly funny. I mean, the time he says a thing about wanting to stay and dance, I won't give any context to that, but that line destroyed <laughs> yeah. me. I, it, he stands it was out so, so funny. Easily. Everything he's in, man, Anthony Kerrigan, just shout out to Anthony Kerrigan. He's the best. He's the best. I, I we're we're so going to see him again in another film next year. Fatherhood, uh, the new Paul White's film uh, that he co-wrote with Dan- Dana Stevens. Uh, he's in that with Kevin Hart and then uh, I think Alfred Woodard and Lil Ray Howery and, maybe Paul Reiser and there's going to be more Barry episodes at some point. Yeah. And eventually. so, you know, more, more Anthony Kerrigan and anytime, if you have a chance to see something and you see that Anthony Kerrigan is in it, you should watch that thing. Yeah, that's, that's all it. I'll say. But anyway, he, he stole the show for me in, in Bill and Ted and just this movie, no matter when this movie came out, I think it was going to be good. It's a really well-written, funny film, but especially right now, I think it resonated so much because everything around us is, Really difficult. Life is not easy for people, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. And yeah. I think this is such a beautiful little ray of sunshine. And it just, all it wants to do, the only mission it has is to make you smile. And that it just does it so well. At the end of the day, like it's hard not to just deeply love how much this movie makes you smile. Totally agree. Yeah. This really perked my spirits. And yeah, I, it's like you said, it's like you can point out things and be like, yeah, well, the green screen stuff isn't very good and the future stuff. It's like, whatever. Like this movie doesn't take itself too seriously for us to get bogged down in some of the low budget. You know, that's part of the charm. You know, like everything is kind of in concert with each other. See what I did there. And in a way that I just think really works. Now, I could see maybe some people saying, yeah, well, you know, I liked uh, I, maybe I liked uh, Bill and Ted in this, but like Keanu was kind of weird, you know, without the facial hair. He kind of looks like I don't know why he couldn't just keep it. Sure. But he has it at one. What I love so much is that he is. It's so clear how much fun he's having. And no one deserves to have a good time more than Keanu Reeves. You know, we're all going to be happy to see him happy. And uh, like, it's just it's heartwarming to just see him be so excited about something. And, you know, just just love if you've and if you've watched any interviews with him doing press for this, it's like he is having the best time. If I if I had to because that's the thing. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. He and Winter are just, they're in these roles and, you know, they're still fun to watch. I think Winter especially, like you can tell, like he just switches it on pretty easily. Keanu, he kind of goes back and forth. It's like, there's a little bit more of a hesitation there, a little bit of maybe a wariness because his career has been so dense. And that's part of why I liked Bogus so much is because I think that's, that's Keanu's best performance as Ted Theodore Logan. He's, he's fantastic because he gets to do the, the evil Ted. And I think he does an incredible job. Like, that's, that's my best performance for him is in that film. But I agree with what you're saying here. I, it's, 
he's winter was is just so good in this role he's still yeah he just fits it so well i think of the daughters i think bridget lundy of pain definitely outperforms weaving here Uh, i think weaving is fantastic i I think she's a great actress there were times in this movie where you know i saw the seams a little bit i I saw her kind of pushing a little too hard to like mimic winter instead of do her own thing whereas i think Mm. Lundy Payne, I think she was really able to capture like 90s Keanu in a way that was it, it was way more believable, I thought. And I both actresses are great. I, I'll finish out with my final thoughts here. I, I really enjoy this movie. This is a B plus for me. I definitely recommend it to anybody who enjoyed the first two films. I don't think people should try to watch this if they haven't seen at least the first one. It, it'll be hard if you only saw the first one because there's a lot from the second film that gets brought up here. But yeah, it, this is not exactly a movie that I think is a must see for everybody. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that you need some of that context. They don't hold your hand much in terms of like what's going on in this movie. Why are they going in time? What is the backdrop of this? Now you got to watch the first two movies to get more of that info. But in terms of maybe more of these films, I'm, I think we've got the definitive end of this trilogy. But if if we saw Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne, maybe in like a little spinoff series where they get to go do fun time travel stuff, I would watch it. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Actually, I think I would give it an A minus. I get maybe it's just the time, but I think that this is such a perfect movie right now for what we're in. And like I was talking to my wife earlier, she's not a big movie person. And I I don't think she would like either one of the first two Bill and Ted's very much. I think she'd kind of get annoyed by it, but I would absolutely show her this movie. And I told her like, Hey, I know you don't like those other ones. Cause I was listening to, I was watching Bogus journey going to bed the other night. And she's like, please turn that off. I can't listen to that while I'm trying to sleep. Um, little guitar riffs and stuff. And they, just, they, they talk so like they talk. And so this one, I kind of m- mentioned to her, like, I really think you would enjoy this movie. And, you know, people need to smile and people need to be happy. And, and I think this is such a great way to do that because it's an excellent film on top of that. So I, I recommend this all the way around. Um, it's not a perfect film, but it's, I think, the perfect film for for where we're at. And uh, yeah, A minus for me. Bill and Ted Face the Music is now available to stream on video on demand. I think it's a premium video on demand. Technically, it costs about $20 to rent it. $25 to buy it, but it is also available in virtual cinemas. There's a chance you'll be able to get this much cheaper than that as a virtual cinemas ticket. Uh, definitely look online to find and, some And of those they are theaters. playing it at drive-ins around you, I, I believe. I think they're playing at drive-ins. So I haven't seen any. I hope that is the there, case. There, there, are, I, I there is one. Good. They're playing the drive-in by me is playing Bill and Ted right now. Okay, interesting. You might want to leave after that. They're playing unhinged second, and so you might <laughs> want to leave after one movie. But uh, yeah, yeah, drive-ins by me at least are, are playing it. So check your drive-in if you got one around you. Sounds good. All right, let's finish out the show with our last review of the week. I don't have too much to say about this one, but you know, maybe maybe we'll surprise ourselves. I'm not sure. The Personal History of David Copperfield. This is the latest film written and directed by Armando Iannucci, who did, you know, a film that I really enjoyed from 2017 called The Death of Stalin. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's probably best known for being the showrunner for Veep. And he's he's done a lot of work that people are big fans of. I think people really enjoy what he did in terms of his film directing. Uh, In the Loop is something that a lot of people look at as like, that's his probably his best movie also directed and written, wrote that film from 2009 now veep is only i've only seen a few episodes of that show i did this song is something that i didn't love the first time i saw it listeners might remember i was kind of like a b on that film i definitely enjoyed it recommended it but it wasn't something that really hit me but it is a it is a film that really stuck i remember i watched the history buffs episode on youtube history buffs is a great youtube channel where nick hodges kind of goes through films that are based on time periods and like kind of it analyzes how true to life they were 
And his review of Death of Stalin actually made me appreciate the film on an even deeper level. So I highly recommend that, actually. And so when we found out personal history of David Copperfield was going to be coming out, which is an adaptation of the very well-known Charles Dickens novel from 1850, I think a lot of people were thinking, oh my gosh, Iannucci, maybe he's going to take David Copperfield and try to almost sort of lampoon modern times, but using Charles Dickens characters. Cause that's kind of what he's known to do. I, I think other people, especially myself saw it's like, well, it doesn't seem like Ian is just going to probably go for that. It seems like he's probably going for something with a little bit more prestige. This film premiered at the Toronto film festival, for example. So clearly they were going for something that was more of a best picture caliber. Now the film didn't get that amount of buzz to be clear, but it definitely still got a lot of interest. A lot of people really enjoyed it. It stars Dev Patel as David Copperfield. And that's right. This is kind of the Hamilton brand of a period piece in the sense that it is, quote, colorblind. So characters could be black. They could be Indian. Um, a black character could have a white son. And so all of that stuff is sort of, there's no rules basically to the ethnicity. Now, some people are a little divided on that. Some people say, well, you know, it, it ignores the realities of like racism and the structures of racism in that society. Other people argue the other side. They're like, well, okay, you know, but this movie isn't trying to tell that kind of story. It's, you know, so it's, it's just sort of a fun experiment. That's kind of what people are saying to you about Hamilton. It's, it's sort of a celebrating, uh, different actors and giving them a chance to play roles that they never could have played before and allow them to stretch and do something different that isn't restrained by history. And we have other films that can sort of do all that other, you know, stuff. And we do. And some people would say we're kind of sick of that. Like we're sick of these period pieces that are all about, you know, those structures because we've gotten so many and they tend to be about the pain of people of color. And let's, let's just have a movie that's a little bit more fun and a little bit more, you know, kind of in this vein, this energy. And so David Copperfield, this adaptation is very fast. It really walks you through this guy's life. It's a long book, but it, it goes through in just under two hours. So that, that's the first most notable thing for people who might be familiar with the source material. I'm not. I never read David Copperfield. I understand that it is Charles Dickens' favorite book that he wrote. A lot of people consider it his masterpiece. But the reason I never read David Copperfield is because I was a great expectations guy. I'm a little basic. What can I say? I, you know, I always looked at the, the two things side by side. You know, I loved studying. I, I wasn't an English major or anything, but, you know, I did all the like advanced courses in high school. And, you know, when it was a competition between great expectations and David Copperfield, I always saw expectations as the darker, the, the grittier kind of take. It, was, it wasn't quite as whiz bang. And, you know, Copperfield has some dark elements to be sure. There's very dark stuff in this, but, you know, it's still a more uplifting thing, especially if you judge both books by their endings. What I like about this adaptation, and it's something that I'm not sure a lot of other people might agree with, is that I think that there is a read of this film where the the narrator is so unreliable, you could interpret this to be a lot darker then you might perceive it where you think the ending, for example, is completely different from what actually happens on screen. That's not giving anything away, but I do, if you're a listener who hasn't watched the movie yet, I, I would love to see if anybody else might grab onto that aesthetic. But real quick, just to describe the film, if you're not familiar with the source material, uh, Death Patel's character, David Copperfield, we go through his life um, from when he's a young child to when he is working for, uh, or he goes to like visit a boathouse with his housekeeper's family and then 
terrible, cruel things happen to him because his mother marries a very cruel man. And, and then he goes to work in a factory and then he meets, basically he meets all these eccentric characters and he gets caught up in some legal drama with his employer. And, you know, he falls in love, but then he's like, am I really in love with the right person? And it's just sort of like the, the trials and tribulations of a young writer who tries to find fame. So it's kind of an autobiographical sort of book that Dickens was kind of writing about himself. And that sort of ties into like maybe why you might read the ending to be different than it really is. Charlie Ridgely, I know you watched this film, but I'm very, I am so curious. Like, what is what is your way into this and you know your expectations and your maybe your familiarity or lack familiarity or lack of familiarity with David Copperfield in general because I have a feeling like you know Will Ashton wrote our our review on the site and he was kind of like look I'm not a Dickens expert but here's my take on the film but uh, where are you at well this is how little I knew about this I thought it was about magic so ah uh, yes before I watched the trailer <laughs> which they do have fun little I, thing I in the not, beginning to I did not that. realize that. David Copperfield, the magician, was like alive. I thought he was like it was like oh, a Houdini yeah. situation. That that's how I had so many layers of misunderstanding because I thought David Copperfield was Harry Houdini, and so I saw like pictures of this movie when it was first getting. I was like, oh, this is like a whimsical like magic movie with Dev Patel and Hugh Laurie. I'm gonna love this. And then I watched the trailer. And it's like, well, there was no magic in that. And <laughs> so I googled it and then realized like, oh, it's a Charles Dickens thing, which I didn't I I didn't know about. I'd never read the book. I. I've read Great Expectations. I've read other Dickens. I never knew about this. I might have in high school and just completely forgot. But sorry to literary people if I'm upsetting you with this. I I knew nothing about it at all. And all I knew about this film was that I liked the people in it. And I'm a big fan of Armando Iannucci. Uh, Death of Stalin was one of my favorite films from uh, 2017 when it came out. And I I love Veep. I think Veep is an, is a great show. Uh, and I, I love Iannucci's writing. And Iannucci's writing, you mentioned Great Expectations. And like that seems like more like the Iannucci book to adapt because it is so dark. I would say so, but here we are. It's kind of funny. Iannucci has a, he has a way in, I talked about this in my review, like he finds such humor in our evil as humans in, in the, in the worst part of our humanity. He draws funny from that. Uh, and, and the veep ending for those who have seen the veep ending, it is very, it's not a hopeful thing at all. You know, it's these characters who have been just terrible people for the whole show continue to be terrible people in life and in death. And, you know, things there is no change to it. And there is a very a status quo and, and our terrible humanity can't. And, and it's Death of Stalin is the same way. And he's very funny in that. It's very real. Uh, it's kind of depressing, but also hilarious. And this this is like the antithesis of Iannucci's other stuff. It, it has his his tone in terms of it's, it's dry and it's really quick in its speech, um, great dialogue, very eccentric. Um, but it's, com- it's completely the opposite in that it is so hopeful. I did not read the ending the way that you're talking about the way that you might have, even if the story he tells was different, I see the ending still being the ending. Uh, and maybe the story itself was darker, but he got the chance to tell what, what had happened. And so he gave himself a different story. And, and it's about only you can control what happens next. Only you can control your own situations and your own destiny. Uh, and it's so hopeful in that, that at the end of the day, you know, he got to be where he was because he persevered and because he continued to be himself through every situation that he encountered. Um, I, I really loved the message of this film, especially coming from Iannucci. And I, we talk about Bill and Ted and kind of the time that we're in. And I really feel Iannucci has always really had his pulse on society. I think in Veep, he really had his pulse on, on where we were at. He's like the anti Todd Phillips 
in that like he knew exactly where we were at as a society and and told a great story with it in personal history of david copperfield i think he still really understands that and understands that we have we we're trying to become a a people of great hope and we're trying to look to tomorrow and look for something better uh, in in our world, no matter whether you live in America or in England or wherever. I think we're at a place now where hope is in very short supply and it's something we all desire. And he really gave us that with this story. And not to mention, I mean, every single character you meet is just so fun based on how they're written and just the actors. Hugh Laurie as Mr. Dick is so, so funny. Uh, Tilda Swinton, I mean, every time Tilda Swinton's in anything, Tilda Swinton is fantastic. She's she's my favorite character in this. I think, uh, I think Hugh Laurie was that. mine. Peter Capaldi was so good. He was a surprise. He, was, he, he actually everyone was much this. better than I anticipated. Everyone in this is is just astounding to me. I, just, I mean, they're just they do such a great job of, of kind of capturing this weird whimsy, and it kind of it almost plays like vignettes from until the third act. You know, he it's all about the stops he makes in his life. It was sad to see Gwendolyn Christie be kind of a villain, but she was a great villain in the parts that she had. I loved Gwendolyn Christie in uh, she was so fantastic in Game of Thrones. I mean, Brianna Tarth was one of the best characters of that show, and she does a great job in this with what she's given, and you know, it kind of all comes together and collides in the third act, but. It just, this movie made me smile and uh, it was just kind of, kind of quick wit of Iannucci that I love. And I mean, overall, I, I really, I really enjoyed what Iannucci did with a much different story than he is used to. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does next after this and kind of where he takes things. Cause it could, I'd love to see Iannucci do a Pixar movie after seeing this. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I think he's got some darkness there, which I mean, you know, you saw Josh Cooley kind of bring this darkness to Toy Story. I'd love to see Inuchi. You know, Brad Bird's kind of a dark guy sometimes too. And it, you know what Inuchi could do with like a family happy. You know, st- I think he it'd be so much fun. But all that to say, that is that is a fascinating idea. Very, <laughs> now I'm very curious. I would I would love it. I, I would love to see me do with it. But that's all to say. I think I think David Copperfield is, is a is a, a really good movie. It's not for everybody. I don't think. Uh, you know, there's, there's parts. Morgan watched it with me, and and she didn't get she didn't like it the way I did, and she was very much like like they're talking. You know really fast and really like some of the accents are very thick and they are very hard to understand. And I, it is like, it was very hard for me to even keep up with what they're talking about at some points in the film. And it doesn't follow a, a normal plot structure. Like it, it's hard to keep up with sometimes. And that is frustrating for some people. And it, it wasn't for me, but that's, that's just a personal thing. I, I really happen to happen to like it a lot. I, I got to say, I'm probably more with Morgan on this one. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, that's okay. You know, okay. I, I was really hoping for this to, really surprised me, but I think I think that is the big drawback that I just couldn't shake, which is the speed. You have such a dense story here. And you know, we say this, it's a bit of a cliche on Cinemaholics for us to be like, this would have been better as a series. But this is one of those cases where I think that just let it let it go through a few episodes, five or six, where you have time. And it's because it's a more episodic story from what I can tell, where you're kind of going from different chapters of his life and relating it to the present but because the film has to move so fast you never have time to sort of sit with copperfield to sit with def patel and let him process what is happening it's just a lot of plot a lot of plot just flying and moving and you know if you're if you're into it and if you can sink your teeth into the characters and the plot you'll probably be all right with it but i guess i just found myself left in the dust with this movie i i just wanted to sit with it i wanted to breathe it all in and because I liked a lot of aspects of it. I think Patel gives a great performance. He yeah, it's one of the best so of, his, of his career. He's very good. I just think that this is an actor who he has such an energy and such a presence that it is hard to quantify. Like when he's on screen in any movie, you just cannot ignore him. 
And it's the reason why so many people like myself are like, make this guy James Bond. Like put, put him Patel in a is role that's criminally like, underused in Hollywood. Now I know he's he's said He's like, you know what? I don't want to be James Bond. That's not my thing. But never say never, Dev. I think that's uh, he. I think he is due for a performance or a character to be given to him that is worthy of what he can do. And that's not to say that he's, you know, none of his characters have been worthy. It's just more of like none of his characters have been all of that memorable or written to be as iconic. And I thought David Copperfield might be the character to do that. I think the problem with a story like this is that. Because Charles Dickens has been ripped off so many times, uh, because you know he's been ins- he's been an inspiring writer, and people just sort of take his characters and do totally new things with him, it makes the source material feel kind of dated. It makes it feel overly familiar because there's only so much you can do. And I, I think Ianucci was maybe a little bit too precious with the story and making it more conventional and kind of true to the spirit of the book. From what I can tell from, from my best analysis here that I just never felt like this was a modern take. I felt like this is the kind of movie where, you know, let's go back in time and middle school. John is, you know, on a field trip and it's one of those charter buses where they have the TVs, you know what I mean, Charlie? And like, all right, what's the teacher going to play? Personal history of David Copperfield. All right, kids, if you're going to watch something, it's going to be educational. Uh, don't worry, we'll get to the state fair in a few hours. Like that, that was the vibe I got from this movie was this kind of like, all right, it's, you know, it's certainly a cut above a TV movie for sure, but it's definitely not trying to be anything really like magnificent in the filmmaking. It, it, it's just kind of going for something a little quieter, a little, a little subtle. Yeah. If it had been a little slower too, I probably would be all about it. I think it's one of those, it just it hit me in the right spot at the right time. You know, I just, it was what I wanted it to be. And I, I, I think it could have been a little bit weirder and I would have liked it even more, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, Deb Patel is very good. All, all the actors are very good. And I, I do see what you're saying. I think that, you know, given this like a three or four episode, like BBC slash HBO series, you know, you know, like those little tandem series they do. Uh, I think that could have really worked well for this. And, uh, but I mean, I'm happy with what we got. And at the end of the day, you know, that's, I, I kind of put this right there. I liked Bill and Ted a hair more, but like, you know, I keep kind of running lists of my films on Letterboxd and Bill and Ted's at nine and this is sitting at 10. You know, I, I really, I really appreciated it. Uh, I mean, I've, I haven't seen nearly as many as you have. I've seen 45 movies in 20 like, or new movies in 2020. Oh, I thought for a second you meant 10 out of 10. I was like, oh my goodness. I didn't know you liked Oh, no, 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 no. Of, of my uh, uh, positions yeah, in ranks. the films I've seen, the rankings. Got it, you got know, it, Bill got and Ted is my number nine of the year and Copperfield is 10 so far. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of, I haven't seen, but I I, I, I appreciated this a good bit and uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited to for more people to get to see it because I mean, right now it's it's only a theatrical release because it was another, like New Mutants, it was a Fox film. It was a searchlight picture that, that got bought up by yeah. Disney. So it had to go to theaters. But I think, you know, with the windows they're talking about, I think that this will be on digital much sooner than other things and i'm excited if people get to see it because I, I do think it is there's a lot to merit there agreed not a drive-in theater by any stretch <laughs> no not at all not <laughs> yes yeah, so just just wait if you have an interest it'll it'll be on demand eventually or maybe a stream and when that happens I, I definitely recommend definitely recommend checking it out i do have to correct myself I, you know i i kind of said that i made it sound a little more conventional and straightforward this movie does have a lot of cinematic flourishes like there there are some things where they do sort of reinvent what uh, a story like this could be. It kind of reminded me in some ways like Tesla, which 
you know, the Ethan Hawke film we just talked about not mm-hmm. too long ago on the show, where that movie certainly was like trying to do like more flashy and subversive things in order to like tell the story in a new way. They do that in this movie too. Uh, not all the time and not in every scene, but it happens, especially toward the end. And I guess we did kind of allude to it. I did appreciate all of that stuff. I guess it just never hit. You know, it sounds like it hit yeah. you in a certain way for whatever reason. Yeah, it just kind of washed it's over. Just, I think it's one, of, it's one of those that, you know, because Tesla didn't hit me the way it hit other people. Didn't hit me either. You know, I thought I thought Tesla was I thought Tesla was a, a fairly good movie. Um, I respect how it was made, but, you know, it didn't click with me like it did with other people. And for David Copperfield, I think it's kind of the same way of it's a it's a it's an it's a very specific film and it isn't going to click with everybody. And I don't think it was trying to. I feel bad though, because these are the biopics I want, where they are trying yeah, new things. Absolutely. And but I'm still being like, nah, you know, I don't. Yeah, like it was, it I, I think I think it kind of you know the way that I feel about Tesla seems like the way you feel about Tesla and Copperfield. It's like I really respect this film. It's just not. It doesn't hit me the way that I hoped it would. But Copperfield does, which I'm I'm happy to hear that you yes, enjoyed it quite a bit. Feels that way for me for sure. I'm a pretty low B minus, almost a C plus. Uh, I was kind of a C plus after I watched it. And, you know, after sitting on it, I was like, well, you know, there's enough in here that I did enjoy that. Yeah, it's, it's about a B minus where uh, like very, very low side. I'm like, I, I liked it. You know, I, I didn't think it was bad. And I definitely think some people will get a kick out of it as well. But I could see a lot of people watching this and just maybe in my being in the same situation as me is like, if I didn't have to watch this for the show. I, I don't know if I would have finished it, to be totally honest with you. So that that's my grade. But uh, where are you at? Sounds like you're pretty high yeah, on this one. Yeah, I'm probably a B, B plus area there. Um, you know, like I said, I think it I think it, it really it does what it sits out to do. And and for me that was that was what I wanted. So yeah, definitely definitely a high high B. I don't know if I quite go B plus, but right there. That is a solid recommendation from Charlie. Yeah, kind of more hesitant that you might like this. I don't know from John. Uh, like you mentioned, personal history of David Copperfield is now playing in theaters. Please do not watch this in a theater. If you are in the United States, but if you are overseas by all means, I know uh, Lionsgate distributed this for the UK. So you have plenty of options. Watch this. I as think well. it's coming to Blu-ray soon in the UK, I believe. Yeah. So. I say just, you know, if it's, if you're in, if you're in the United States or, you know, North America in general, and you, I, I say, wait, uh, don't, don't rush out to see this in a public space. It's not worth it. In my opinion, I think that you're better off just waiting for it to hit on demand and check it out there. Uh, it's definitely a nice rental. Uh, I'll give it that for sure. But with that, that is our show next week. We are going to be announcing our new co-host, and I'm curious, listeners, if you can guess who it is. Maybe put it. Maybe send your guesses to the comments. Actually, don't do that. I don't want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> uh, but next week on the show, we're going to talk about Mulan, which is going to be hitting Disney Plus as a sort of exclusive tier. It'll cost thirty dollars for Disney Plus subscribers to watch Mulan, the live action remake, of course, the 1999 film or 98 film, I should say. And uh, looking forward to uh, finally checking that one out, uh, Charlie. I think you already watched it, correct? I have not. Yeah, I'm watching it either when I get off here or uh, tomorrow night. So I will be watching Sounds it very good. soon. Looking forward to seeing your review hit Letterboxd or ComicBook.com. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I am writing our sites, uh, so it'll be ah, up. Perfect. I believe the embargo for that is on Thursday. So right, definitely uh, check that I will, out. I will be putting that up. Yeah, uh, we'll also be talking about I'm thinking of ending things, the new Netflix film starring Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons. Very much looking forward to this one. Netflix literally was like 
sorry, John, you're going to have to wait until Friday. We're, we're not sending out any more screeners for this. All right, fine. I'll wait till Friday. They knew, they knew I was going to be watching this no matter what. And they were like, we don't have to send you a screener. <laughs> we, we know we've got you in our pocket. And, yeah, they're right. But uh, there's that as well. Also, the owners is going to be hitting on demand. And uh, like I mentioned before, Tenet's going to be hitting more drive-ins. Now, Tenet is going to be in the drive-ins here in the Bay Area, uh, certain places, uh, not everywhere. And I'm on the fence. I don't know if I'm going to see Tenet. I don't know if I want to watch it at a drive-in, to be totally honest. So long. And I don't know if I want to sit in the drive-in for two and a half hours. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Especially based on some of these reviews I'm seeing. But we will be having a uh, an episode for it. I, I don't want to, uh, again, we talked about, I don't want to encourage going to the theater. But if you live in a place like where I live, where there's a lot of theaters around me, what I did for The New Mutants and the same thing I'll be doing for Tenet, uh, because I do want to see this film, um, is I, I guess I have about six uh, six movie theaters in my town. And, um, I, every day, you know, I look at, I look at a time when I want to go see a, a movie and I check these things every single day. And I, if there's more than like three people in a theater, I'm not going to go. Um, but if you can catch a screening where, you know, you can just be flexible and it's like, there's no one in this, I might check it out and know if they come, if some people come in, I'm going to leave. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't want to share a theater with people and like, I don't want to, I'm not encouraging anyone to do any other thing, but that's, that's the approach I'm taking with this. So hopefully I can follow that rule and see Tenet at like 10 a.m. one day or something. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be worth it for me, especially considering how many cases there are in California. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to say. Yeah, like I said, that's, I don't want to encourage anything. That's just that's that's where that's my personal where I'm at. But, I, you know, it's it's a weird, dangerous time. I get what you're saying. It's just like if I sit in there and it's all I'm going to think about. I'm not going to be able to enjoy the movie and I'm potentially going to be doing something that could harm other people. So it's like, what is the point? So my, my stance on this, yeah, it's like, especially for me personally, is like, it's just not worth it. As much as I love theaters, I'm much more about just waiting for all of this stuff to clear out and for us to have a handle on it. So then us in the States can enjoy movie theaters again when it really is safe to do so. And we don't have to be worrying about all of these things. We don't have to be, you know, worrying that people are going to come into the theater or anything like that. So uh, that that's our current reality Absolutely. at the moment. Absolutely. Obviously very tricky territory to navigate but that's where we're at. So fortunately there's not anything bigger, good after tenant for a while. So, you know, Hey, wonder woman, 1984. That's what October, November. Yeah. October. So it's, yeah, it's not that far away. So, I mean, maybe hopefully they'll do some, some critic stuff for that. So, you know, we can be safe about it, but I'd see it at a drive. We'll see. All right. <laughs> That'll do it for our show this week. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Any last minute things you want to plug before we go? No, I mean, like I said, I got, uh, I'll have a Mulan. I, I've actually, been, I've been on a little, a little, uh, review kick lately. Uh, I've had a lot recently. I, I reread, uh, the burnt orange heresy and David Copperfield and new mutants recently on comicbook.com. We have a whole little section for movie reviews. So you can check all those out. I, I did a Ted lasso review that long ago. I reviewed the new Madden and, uh, I'm going to be doing Mulan and I'm thinking of ending things this week. So, um, you know, if you are into reading reviews, I write a lot of stuff, but reviews are the things that I am I'm most proud of that I write. So you guys can check that out, those out over at comicbook.com. Yes. Also, you're on Twitter. We'll link to your Twitter as well and find Absolutely. all that fun stuff. So thanks again. We'll see you all next week from the internet, California. I am John Agroni. And from the internet, Tennessee, I'm Charlie Ridgely. See you next time. <laughs>